Start wow. wherever you want to start. Wow. Um, I think, uh, okay, so because we talked a little bit about women educators or warriors in the yeah. opening, and thank you for that nice bio. You did some homework on that. Thank you. <laughs> homework equally on the spot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I've ended up now, after my retirement from education, realizing that there's a skill set that educators have, and we never think that we do, like as teachers or as vice principals, principals, whatever, we actually don't recognize how um, saleable we are or how hireable we are mm -hmm. in terms of organizational skills and all those kinds of things. But it, what was curious to me is that I wanted to kind of um, acknowledge that I had all of that in my background and I was really paying attention to what was happening to education through COVID. And the stories that were coming to me, and because it is, perhaps it is because I am female, but what was coming to me, of course, is that women were juggling so much since COVID hit. And of course, we know that there's an awful lot of single moms out there also. So all of a sudden, now you're juggling everything with no helpmate um, if you're a single mom. And that's a, a hard uh wrote a hoe for sure yeah. but you were like trying to do on school learning and then take care of your own needs and and your own job and you know make sure that you weren't going to be fired from that job because you couldn't do the job and there were all of these tensions that continued to pull women certainly families um and then when school got back in what education was asking of our teachers was well you have to still continue to kind of do it all so for most boards, there was some kind of a hybrid still going on. And in some boards, in fact, it was, well, you know, teach as you are in the class, but then also address the kids that are on online as if they're in the classroom. And it, it just became, yeah, you know, impossible <laughs> the more I heard exactly. And, you know, remain professional and do your best, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought there, what women I don't think do well, unless they are taught how to do it, is to really understand the importance of barriers and boundaries. Mm, boundaries. And yep. Boundaries, yeah. And it really became something that I was quite watchful of in terms of, you know, giving, giving, giving. And they're not necessarily being an understanding of what that giving was costing the profession and the professionals that were trying to do it. Mm, that's a really good point. Mm hmm. Thank you. It was it was a real concern for me because I thought, OK, like I know that there are thank yous that are going out, et cetera. But then it was asking more, asking more, asking more. And what I wasn't hearing is that there was any takeaways like well, we're going to add this on. But don't worry, we're going to take this away. It was a continuation of asking more, asking more, because we know that you can do it all. And there's not a lot of room uh, to understand how to take care of, like I said, those boundaries and barriers. And so I wanted to kind of put together a little mini course in terms of how to recognize how to do it. Oh, and, I see. Yeah. You know, really, really honor the fact that you, for the most part, and I, and I apologize to men that are listening to this because I'm not male bashing. I'm being factual in the data that we have that talks about women's um, emotional load and uh, direct load of being caregivers in the home. And oh, the data yes. is just overwhelming that, you know, that the 50-50 split doesn't necessarily really happen. And part of that is the way that, that men interact with the world versus the way that women interact with the world. And we are usually more relationship-based per se. And we also are able to kind of um, juggle a lot more facts at one time than men are. There's data on this in terms of, you know, how men are, are much more capable in terms of creating boxes for things to be in. And I think in a situation like COVID, it was a very helpful skill to have. Other than, you know, like the kids are calling for you, you're online yourself, you're trying to teach a class, but your own kids are supposed to be online. First of all, you don't even right. have enough computers in the house. Like it, was, <laughs> it was just ridiculous yeah. what was being yeah. asked. And so really what I wanted to do was try to uh, acknowledge the fact that there was this um, vacuum of how to stop how to how to not continue to to help to want to be an overachiever because most people in education most most women try to be overachievers and all things to all people and people pleasers and I'm mm -hmm. also really watchful of um, depression in women that is uh, kind of hidden 
And there yeah. is actually a thing called perfectly hidden depression, which I'm really uh, excited about and watching a uh, watchful of because it just, it, it reacts in a very different way with, um, with people who are feeling and hiding behind this depression uh, behind a, a perfectionist f- facade. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And it's quite costly because when all things come to a head, it comes to a head quite quickly and, and um, can be devastating when, you know, you realize that you simply cannot keep going. And then what that looks like can be very, very hard for people to wrap their heads around. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good point you bring up. Um, I started to think about how, I mean, it's very interesting that you've noticed this within educators. I've also kind of found like a relationship to how people in service in general, people who are a server or give services to others in general, tend to bump up against this capitalistic point of view where you just have to keep producing more and more output. Mm -hmm. But when the output is a service given by a human, um, if there's no time to rest and recharge, you you can really burn out. And it's interesting to understand what that looks like from educators, especially female educators who are also caregivers, maybe Mm -hmm. not just female, but people Mm -hmm. who are caregivers outside of their education profession. Um, How do they manage having to almost be the same role throughout the entire day? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up for sure, because we also know that the sandwich generation, you know, taking care of your own kids and taking care of your parents is going to be prevalent for a couple more years, for sure. And by a couple more means, I I mean, probably about 10 or so, Um, just because of where the boom bust and echo has hit in terms of population growth. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I just, I just the, go ahead. Oh, definitely sending the statistics on that. So I can um, add that in the notes. Yeah. I, I think it's just something like for, for me, what really was troubling is that COVID gave us an opportunity to really reevaluate things and to flip things on their heads. And it didn't because everybody wanted to kind of, and we, and we talked like this, like when, when is it going to go back to normal? And I can't wait till it goes back to normal. And we know now that the normal is never going to be the same at all because we're now living with COVID as an entity, whether that goes away or not, or whether there's going to be another pandemic that kind of, you know, shows itself at some point, we now have um, a, a way of kind of hoping our, to conduct ourselves. But what was lacking was a nimbleness. Um, that flexibility that can happen at an organizational level only if the people that are in charge are really willing to say, okay, what's not working and what can we throw out as opposed to let's continue to do the same thing we're doing. And we're just going to now do it online. Like there were, there were some real yeah. opportunities that were lost. <laughs> doesn't work. Exactly. And what I think is amazing now are all the companies that are saying, you know what, we've been just as productive as we've wanted to be. And we can stay online. Like our, we, we can sell off our, our buildings. We don't need them anymore. We can, you know, we, we can continue to meet on Zoom or we'll meet in a conference room that we uh, rent out for a little bit. It, like there are new ways, there are no, new realities that have come out of it. But in terms of systems, I think that's where we missed the ball. Yeah. Well, tell me more about the course and um, like you did, speak about what inspired you to make the course, but how's that process been for you in sharing your wisdom to help others? Uh, yeah, thank you for that opportunity. It's, it's in its infant stages right now. It's, it's really an outline in terms of understanding what it means to find your voice, um, kind of reestablish your purpose because it's, it's so hard to do good work, as you said, especially in the service industry. Um, where most of us go into it because we have a real calling or a passion or we want to make a difference. And then when you're living the reality such that we have in the last couple of years, um, it's hard to kind of go, wait a minute, why did I do this? Because I've got people yelling at me all day long. It feels like I'm never kind of doing the right thing or enough of the right thing. And so it's very practical. One of the things that I was told by people that I coached throughout my career that I tended to do well was to take kind of complex ethereal ideas 
and really make them practical. And so that's what all of the coursework that I have um, come up with is, is really rooted in practicality. Like this is what you can do on day one. This is what you can do on day two. Here's a sentence starter to kind of get that ball rolling with someone that you need to have a conversation with. So one of the things that, that it starts off with doing is recognizing um, through neuropsychology, well, what is your purpose? Like, let's, let's reestablish your purpose and kind of find out that, that joy that you had with what the job is all about. And then it kind of continues to find out what can you let go that you continue to hold yourself to a high standard of, but that you actually should let go. That it's not necessary anymore to do a particular thing that you've always felt was important, but if you actually took the time, and that's the hard part is finding the time to do that gap analysis. If you actually were able to stand back and someone were to ask you, what's one thing that you can give up um, that you actually aren't getting anything from? Not, not data for the kids, not a, a better communication style with parents, not better, better, better learning for yourself or for your students. Um, and there could be some things within your day that 10 years ago you thought was really important and now you realize it's not necessarily serving you but yeah. it's been too hard to do that analysis to kind of go wait a minute I can actually let that go it's not it's not doing what I thought it was going to do anymore yeah I love that um it totally reminded me of the term I was trying to remember earlier at the start of this interview um I mentioned a practice of self-forgiveness but I was really wanting to remember a practice of non-attachment because um you know, with being a perfectionist, you always want things to be a certain way. You have this idea in your head of what it looks like, what it should be, or, you know, you take on what other people expected from you, and then you expect things of yourself, and then you kind of go on this runaway train, and that runaway train could go on for years, like you said, like something that may have fit 10 years ago doesn't work today anymore, and you yeah. have to find a way to, like, step back, zoom out, and do that gap analysis, like you said. Like, yeah, that, I love what you said, that, that mm -hmm. passion, the passion of non-attachment is really an exciting phrase. Yeah, like just letting go, like what does yeah. that really look like? And I mean, it's scary, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. It's it scary. is. scary to let go. Well, because a lot of times there are things that we as educators feel um, are part of our profile, are part of our personality. And I'm not telling you to give up things that bring you joy by any means, but what I am saying is be analytical about them. What are you getting out of them? And if you have to start making some decisions about how you want to spend your day, is the time on that worth it? So if you're involved in social emotional learning, absolutely knock your socks off because that absolutely is going to help your relationship with your children, the, the kids before you, their parents, all of that kind of stuff. And we know that Social emotional learning in classrooms make a, makes a huge difference for achievement. And by the way, it's not all about achievement. I just want to say that uh, on, on the yeah. get-go. Uh, <laughs> that's a goal. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, I do think, like, I'll give you an example. I think yeah. one of the things that happened as email came on board, and I'm old enough to know that I didn't start with email. If we were going to communicate with parents, it wasn't through email. And then all of a sudden it comes on. Um, and it becomes, oh, I can just email the teacher this, or I can email a parent this, which is fantastic when you want to have answers for things really, really quickly. But mm -hmm. then what happens is if you don't put boundaries and barriers on your own time as to when you are going to go on your professional email, there can be an expectation because you haven't put a boundary in place as to how frequently you are available. Yep. And so it's not a healthy thing for anyone in any profession to be available 24 seven. Like we know that what's happening in places in Europe there, you're shutting down. If you, once you leave the business, you're shutting down. Yeah. And so what happens now though, is that we'll have parents um, emailing teachers and demanding um, an answer within less than 12 hours. That's, wow. not, that's not appropriate for anyone. It certainly isn't appropriate for the professional to think that they should be able to get back to someone that quickly. And it's not appropriate for the parent to think that the professional will get back to them that quickly. But right. if we don't say to a parent respectfully, this is when I'm going to be on email every night, my professional email, um, if you're going to use it as a way to communicate with me, please understand that after this time, I will be spending time with my family. I will be spending time on self-development. I will be spending time, whatever, 
or you don't even yeah. need to say exactly what you're doing. Right. You know, it's just, that's a barrier that very few of us have understood how to put in place because we were kind of taught to be all things to all people at all times. And that's scary. That's a reality that you cannot, nor should you uphold. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you bring this up because it's not something that is really taught. Mm -hmm. You kind of just end up discovering it, usually at like a rock bottom or when we've already burnt out. And then we're looking for solutions at that point. But it doesn't have to be there. Uh, like it doesn't have to be that way where yeah. we wait until something happens until like if we have mentors and leaders who teach us that these tools or behaviors can actually help us be more successful mm -hmm. and um, more balanced, um, yeah. things would be very different. And then it's easier to continue to find your joy because yeah. you know that whatever you say, whether you're going to be on email between, you know, 6.30 and, and 9 or 6, you know, 5 to 5.30, whatever you say, whatever you let parents know, and there's the communication piece, there's the rub that you have to be able to say, okay, parents, this is what you can expect of me. And there's nothing unprofessional about that. In fact, I would argue that it is completely professional to be able to say as a professional, yeah. this is when you can get in contact with me, or sorry, this is when you, you know that I'll be on roughly. Um, there could be exceptions. And you can expect that I will get back to you within 48 hours or 24 yep. hours, whatever you think is your own reality that you can manage. It's yeah. the lack of preface um, that will get us in trouble. And so again, kind of throughout this course, it's like, okay, well, what do you want your reality to be? Give it some thought. And then you simply explain it. But here's the other thing that you need to be aware of. You want to make sure that you are going to be supported in that. So you have a conversation with your administrator. And so you say, in order to continue to keep my mental health and my mental wellness at a high, these are some barriers and boundaries that I'm going to be putting in place. And I need your support on this. Because then if something happens where a parent says, wait a minute, I can't get in contact with this teacher, what's going on? You've got a principal who already knows what you've sent out and what you've established with, with parents. So those are the kind of politically savvy things that I think that I'm able to kind of uh, bring to the table in terms of don't forget this really important piece. You don't want to feel like you're hanging out there on your own. You want to be able to say, I know that mental well-being and uh, professional well-being is important to this district or this board. And in order to take care of myself, this is one of the things that I'm putting in place. I'm going to recognize boundaries for myself. And I just need for you to let me know that you're going to support me on that if anything comes your way. That's key. Yeah. That's beautifully said. I love that. Thanks. And it's, it's every job. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> My world is this one. I was just about to mention that how, you know, you had all these experiences in your career as an educator and then later as an administrator, that even as you retired, you discovered a way to still transfer all those skills into a whole new career for yourself. I'm curious, um, you know, if you were to step back and look at how Jackie went from teacher to now hypnotist, what would you say <laughs> at first glance? That's, that's interesting. I've had that question a lot since I've retired. Yes. Um, the jobs that I had, the roles that I played in education were pretty lockstep. And I did not go into teaching to ever think, oh, I want to be a director of education. I want to be the CEO of this whole affair. It was never part of my, my thought process. But what did happen is as I continued to take courses, I realized that what I had to say um, was being well-received by an audience. And I felt very comfortable in acknowledging that the audience could be larger than um, the classroom that I was in. And so number one, I love teachers. I love working with teachers as both colleagues and um, as sitting around a table together. If, if I am at the CEO level or the director level, I, I continue to always meet with teachers and, and to talk through what their reality was um, because I really respect the work that they do. I think that 
they are absolutely the backbone of the entire system and to um, not honor the hard work that they do and the diligence and the integrity that they bring to the work would be ill-founded on my part. Um, but I left teaching per se to go into administration because I thought that I would be able to honor their work and expand uh, where my voice was going to go. And so what did um, you really discover once you got there? Interesting. Okay, so as a principal, um, it was really dynamic um, because one of the best school experiences I ever had was at a school where I was at for six years and it was very large staff. At its largest, we had just under a thousand kids and wow. about 65 staff. It was a K to eight building and it was probably um, the most magnificent building I've ever been in. And part of it was because we all worked really well together. Um, well, it was part of a culture nice. that we built. Yeah. And we really honored. Well, one of the things that I tried to do was really honor uh, who my staff were as individuals. And I made sure that I continued to meet with people that did not think the way that I thought, because I think as a leader, that's really important. It's, it's way too easy to just surround yourself with people that think the same way. Yeah. And so I would actively make sure that at the table were people that did not think the same way that I did. And then that way, we've created a real culture of you know, inclusivity as well as um, diversity in terms of diversity of opinion and diversity of point of view and diversity of voice. In yeah. doing that, you're hitting a lot of spots that you could be quite blind to. So I think for leaders, wherever you are, that's a really important fact. Like people that you're not drawn to, you have to figure out why you're not drawn to them. Yeah. And, and then kind of spend a, a good amount of time and self-reflection and figure out you know, what, what they bring to the table that you don't bring to the table, you know, right. point blank, and then make sure that you invite them to the damn table, because it's really important that they know that they have that voice and that you're going to honor a different way of thinking, a different way of interacting, a different way of, you know, kind of planning. And there's, there's a whole lot of strength in doing that. It really is. Cause you mm. can't cover all the bases as one person. That's right. And sometimes it takes you know, someone really radical from your point of view. Yeah. Who's totally normal yeah. from your point of view. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to be able to um, bring a, a much um, better whole picture to the situation or even yes. innovate new areas that didn't get the attention it needed before. Agreed. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and as a leader, you have to be vulnerable enough and, and self-actualized and self-realized enough to recognize that you're not the smartest person in the building just because you're sitting at the principal desk. Right. You know, there's a whole bunch of different ways to uh, have smarts and to acknowledge all of the gifts that all of your staff have. And like I said, I was profoundly um, enriched by all of the learning I was able to do alongside my staff in that particular place. It was, it was really just magical. It was incredible. Wow. And that was you as a principal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then, so principal is kind of like the top of the chain. So then if you need to grow, where do you grow from there? Well, in our particular board, uh, one of the, the placements that I was really yearning for was what was called the principal of special education. And in our board, when I first started that particular job, I was in charge of 40 schools, um, a number of high schools and a number of what we call feeder schools or elementary schools. And everything that had to do with special ed at a, at a level that couldn't be handled at the school kind of rose up to me to help problem solve. And we talked about this a little bit in, in the last conversation we had, that was probably one of the best jobs that I'd ever had in terms of recognizing that there's always, there always has to be a solution. You can't ever say, well, we can't help you. We can't help that particular child. We can't help that particular parent because we needed to, it was public education. We needed to find a way to dig deep and to find out exactly what we were gonna be able to do to offer wraparound service for mm -hmm. a student or a child, regardless of what the needs were. And, the beautiful thing about that job was that I learned the value again of just grabbing a multidisciplinary team and saying, okay, well, how do we do this together? 
because no is not an option. You know, there's no there's no problem so great it can't be solved. Right. And it really um, taught me a lot. I mean, I was always very parent inclusive, but it really taught me the value of breaking down every barrier with a parent and making sure that they were at the table as a full-fledged partner. Right. Um, because they held so much information about their child and, right. um, and any kind of information that we wouldn't have in a file that we needed to, to really make sure that we were addressing that the parent had. And it's always important to hear a parent talk about their kid. Exactly. They're the best advocate for their child. Yes. Exactly. You know, their child is them. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's spot on. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if we could talk about one of the coworkers or or partners <laughs> that you worked with. You like that can. story. <laughs> you like story. It's a good story. Well, without I mean, naming any names, because it could happen to anybody, quite frankly. And yes. um, I'll pull back a little bit on on the story that I told to you. But one of the things that struck stuck me, struck stuck with me, and struck me was I was working with someone who was having a bit of a bad day and you know, we were in the office together and they came over and they said to me, you know, um, I don't know how you do this, this, this uh, job. And it was the job of a uh, special ed coordinator. Um, it's just so hard. And I'm just so sick and tired of these moms that continue to ask for more and more and more. And they're just never happy. And they just want everything for their kid. And I won't curse on your podcast, but lo and behold, I did of course curse because I, I mean, I, go I, for I it. Like it. A trucker. <laughs> <laughs> that's what technology is for that's yes, exactly right yeah. um and I said yeah it can be really hard you know like these are people who are asking for the world and you know like blah 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 and you know they can get on your nerves and I said but I've got a couple questions for you I said number one where are the dads because we have lots of data that tells us when there are really high needs kids and families that unfortunately a lot of fathers leave and moms are left. And that's my reality. And that's also what I know to be true in terms of the data that I was able to collect within that particular role. And so again, if you're a father and you're heavily involved with your child's life, please do not take offense. This is just how I understood what was happening with all of the kids that I was serving. Um, but I also said, and this is you know, the part that I think really caught your attention is, um, and I won't swear, but I said, I don't want you to ever uh, talk to me about a mother again in those terms. And I said, because it's because of that mother's advocacy, it's because of that mother's never ending advocacy that that child is doing as well as they are. You need to understand that there could be a real likelihood that the only reason that child is alive is because the mother has already taken on one system, that being the medical system. And now the only way that they know how to operate is to ask and to ask and to demand, rightfully so, as advocates for their child what they need and then it becomes up to us to be able to manage what's being asked for and work within our own system as to how we manage that but don't you ever again talk to me about a mother who is doing exactly what they're supposed to do yeah I love that it was a better story when I swore I know <laughs> no, 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 no. We save that for the bar. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. I mean, it still felt chills as you told me that just now, just because, um, yeah, it just really makes me think like, is he a parent? Yes. Yes. Um, and what's interesting though is that if you don't have a child who had any kind of issues in school, it's a hard reality to figure out. If you don't have a child who had any medical issues, it's a hard reality to figure out. It's like when you try, if you have migraines and you try to explain to someone how debilitating a migraine can be, they can kind of sympathize, but they truly can't empathize because it's not part of their world. It's not part of their pain management right. system. And so yeah. it just becomes an idea. And it's easy, it's, if it's just an idea, if it's just a construct, it's easy to blow off. Right. But it's when you bring that sense of empathy and compassion and a deep desire to understand another person's reality and then say, okay, your point of view is this, have I got it right? Okay, now let me explain what my system is able to do with what it is that you're asking. And I'll use this as an example all the time. We would have a lot of parents saying, my, my child needs an EA, 24 seven, my child needs an EA. Now they might not be wrong, but there's only so many EAs to go around in a system. and so. 
one of the things that I used to do when talking to parents was, I understand that what you're asking for is this. Let me explain to you what it is that I could offer instead and the reasons as to why I can offer this instead of a full-time EA. Number one, your child's in grade four. How long do you want them to have a full-time EA? What do you want them to gain in terms of having someone at their side 24-7? Or do you want for them to start being um, uh, learning some independent skills, et cetera, et cetera? It sounds like it's a manipulation, but truly it's not. It's really trying to figure out from the parent, why are you asking me for that? Well, because I'm fearful that my child is you know, going to have this happen or that happen. Okay, great. That fear I can work with. That fear I can put other things in place of that don't look like an EA. They look like something else. Right. And so it's, it's really, it's getting past the ask to what's deeper than the ask. What is it that you're actually really asking me for? But the only thing you know how to kind of couple it is to say, my kid needs an EA. Right. Because they know the result that can come from that, but they're not resolving what could actually resolve so many more things. Exactly. Yeah. And then once you have that, respectful conversation that is full of dignity and you you set the bar that you're looking for a win-win then all of a sudden you've got people that are working with you as opposed to you know if you don't give me this I'm going to call the papers I'm going to call my lawyer I'm going to call your boss you can call all those people but it's still going to come back to me you know like like really what we want to do is be able to work on this issue this challenge together and that's why it's go ahead I was just going to say, like, all that could be very scary and stressful to have all these threats come at you. But I love what you said about the win-win, like trying to create a win-win that's like the true collaboration when people really get together and, you know, they voice what matters to them, what they're afraid of, like what results they don't want. So everyone can understand like, oh, that's why that person is angry or that's That's why that person cares about X, Y, Z. Yes. And then you could really kind of like find out like, okay, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. And then you start to work together. I you really nailed it. It's, it's something I think that's missed in um, like a collaboration or a creative process or just working together as a team in any capacity at work or on a project. That's not. Uh, I agree. Yeah. The, the ability to be the last person to speak is not necessarily something that's taught. In fact, when I work with a lot of leaders, they think that, um, oh, I've got another story for you. Um, they think that their voice should be the first one. So I'll, I would have people, especially in that job, I would have people call me up and say, you know, well, what are we going to say to the parent? And I said, well, I don't know what we're going to say to the parent because I haven't met the parent yet. I haven't heard from the parent. It's disingenuous for me to meet with someone because I've only heard your point of view, which is valid and it's fair and I've got it. But don't ask me what I'm going to say to this parent as if we have a big conspiracy of how we're going to handle something when I want to be as genuine as I possibly can in this interaction. Right. Yeah. I had to sit with that for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like thinking so many things like, yes, like I'm thinking about all the times, you know, people will just puff up their chest and like start mouthing off about something yeah. and in a way it's very dismissive you know mm-hmm. yeah and I don't I mean it, I I have a particular bent on on leadership I really do and it's you either like it or you don't and that's fair it's like we all do confirmation bias when we pick up the books that we love I mean I love Simon Sinek because he says what I love to read I love Brené Brown because the same thing I ascribe to servant leadership because I that's what I'm built for. That's how I'm built. And so to think that I don't serve the people that in the hierarchy are under me is a fallacy. I I absolutely serve them. They don't serve me. I serve them. And that's why it's so important for me to understand, well, what's actually happening in our system? What do I need to understand so that I can really tackle either relationship issues or what's happening at the custodian level or, um, you know, where there is um, uh, changes that need to be made because I'm hearing about different things through the system or I'm hearing from groups of parents, et cetera. And I think being open to all of that is really, really important. Yeah. 
So it makes sense that you eventually became the director of education of the area that you were serving um, to bring all those skills to that level and with that heart and caring that you had for everyone that you were serving. Now you were in a position where you could make those calls to help them better. Mm -hmm. But then you decided to retire. Uh, how did I that decided decision? to retire. And that. I mean, it was interesting because there were some changes that were made at my board um, because I also work for a group of trustees. And um, suffice to say, there was a disconnect, a, a large disconnect between how I felt the job should be done and how um, the new group of people that, that were hired that came in thought it should be done. And the disconnect um, really was a struggle for me. And so it was best that I leave. Yeah, that could be really hard to not only go through that experience, but then come to the conclusion yourself that it might actually be better not to fight this, but to redirect that energy, you know, that's hitting resistance, redirect that into something that can flow a lot better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about where I am now is I can be, you know, audacious and irreverent and say what I want to say because I don't have a system that's paying me. And right. so I can call out truths um, that I think are necessary. And, you know, again, people are going to agree or not agree. And it matters not at all to me. You know, you, you either like what I'm saying and you ascribe or you don't. And I'm, I'm okay with both. Yeah. So hypnotherapy. So hypnotherapy. So Why hypnotherapy. Well, because it worked for me um, as I was kind of, you know, working through some different things in my life. And I kind of, I'm always open to different kinds of energy things. That's always been part of my, my background. I think finding my spiritual way was really important to my finding my leadership style also. And I don't see the two as disconnected at all. I see them very disconnected. And so part of that journey of understanding how energy works and understanding how brain research works because of my background in psychology and in special education, I was always reading about brain research and what was happening on the forefront of that. And one of the things that was becoming really um, discussed was the importance of understanding the subconscious and how the subconscious works and how it influences us. And so now there is real science behind hypnotherapy or hypnosis. It's not, you know, that kind of woo woo and um, what you see stage hypnotists do. Yeah. It's, it's like, always had, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, there's always had that, that kind of ebb and flow. Um, I was actually just listening to a hypnotist today that was talking about the, the research in terms of how it came up in huge quantities after World War One and after World War II, because it was so helpful for PTSD when um, um, everyone was coming home. And, you know, like you, you, you had whole groups of soldiers that were just fraught with PTSD. And so there was a revival of hypnosis after World War I and World War II, um, but a real dip in between those years. And then it was after World War II that there was a group that kind of said, well, why, why are we letting this go? We have to really continue to make sure that it is um, part of what's going on with regular medical understandings. And so I think it was 1955 that... Um, in England, it was recognized. And then the year after in the States and the year after that for Canada. So, I mean, it's, it's been around as a recognized form of medical intervention for quite some time. And yet still 2020, 2022, I keep forgetting what year it is. I know. Um, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, um, last a couple of years. Exactly. You know, there's still this kind of, well, I don't know if I trust it and, you know, or what you're going to have full control. And so I think one of the things that I loved about it, gosh, I'm, I'm all over the place in my response. Sorry. The no, reason I got into it was natural. because of brain research. And so following the understanding that there's now functional MRIs that tell us exactly what's going on at the subconscious level right. really intrigued me. And I was taking a whole bunch of courses on neuropsychology um, and how that was kind of moving forward. 
And we know now that people are really looking for answers in regards to mindfulness, in regards to, you know, just understanding themselves and that purposefulness of, of finding happiness, et cetera. There's, there's big business in that. And I think that's one of the reasons why hypnosis is becoming larger uh, it, it, now um, because people are kind of saying, oh, here's another avenue. And because it has the science, as I said. So right. after my neuropsychology, the neural uh, basis of psychology course, I just kind of flipped into this and now there's no going back. So, you know, now I'm doing regression, past life regression, life between lives, talking to your soul, understanding your soul's purpose. And even if you believe in hypnosis, the understanding of what those second things are all about is like, well, okay, I'll give you the first part hypnosis. Okay, fine. You can, you can be a hypnotist and you can, you know, help me with phobias, but that other stuff, come on, we're getting kind of crazy now. <laughs> that's the real woo-woo stuff. That's the real woo-woo stuff. People aren't ready for it. And that's fine. It's that's fine. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, I always enjoy, you know, understanding why people are opposed to certain things. Always valid. Um, but always interesting when you start to get curious. So, yeah. Well, what is it really? I'm like, okay, glad you asked. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the number of people who, well, I'm not really sure that I can be hypnotized. That's okay. That's okay. You know, like we're here together and we're just going to be on this journey together. And I think the major part uh, of what we, what we do and what we should do well is to take the time to really discuss the science behind it and really talk about, this is what's happening. This is why this works. Because I've got more than every single client that I have, like says, oh, wow, am I ever glad that you talked about that? Because then when you're involved in, in the hypnosis itself, you can talk about what you did in the pre-talk, what you talked about and how it all works and how your body knows that it works. Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, the healing that I have been able to see that takes place through hypnosis is unlike anything that I've ever seen before. And I am um, profoundly grateful that I was able to find it as I did. And as, as you said, we met through the learning with Michael Watson, which was again, incredible. And even being certified through and accredited through another system to go through IACT, which we both belong to was really right. important um, because it is all about the learning. There's not one way to skin a cat. And the more that you learn about different techniques and different theories, um, the better off you're going to be. Your whole repertoire of skill becomes that much greater. Yeah, and even with learning the different ways of doing the same thing, which you know is trance or relaxation, mindfulness, you're able to find your own rhythm of, that fits with you. Yes, I really enjoy that about hypnosis or you know, like healing arts in general. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I think that being, having that openness. And the other thing that we learn, of course, in, in um, hypnosis is you have to alleviate all judgment. You know, you're, you're going to hear an awful lot from your clients in regards to different challenges or situations or what, what have you. And you have to let any form of judgment that you have about what they're saying go, because it's not about you. It's about their reality. It's about their healing. It's about their journey. Yeah, exactly. I know I'm just sitting with that because <laughs> it's so it's so deep and profound in the sense that it's another thing that we're not taught to do. Mm -hmm. We're not taught to practice. Mm -hmm. um, like why the non-judgment? Well, it's because we don't know the whole story and that story doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the person we're hearing it from mm -hmm. there's just so much that goes into what created that story or experience or how they're expressing their experience so it doesn't matter what we think about it it only matters in the moment how we want to help that person exactly exactly and then again that whole skill of listening to what happens in the consult and the pre-talk and to really being attuned to the language that the client uses, right? Because it's their language for themselves that matters far more than your language. Your interpretation right. of their language really is is secondary 
to how they're utilizing their language, which is why you and I are taught, you know, really press, well, what does that look like? What does that sound like? How, is, how are you going to experience that? Right. Um, and really get all of the senses that we can involved in it because then we can help the client create that, that new projection of reality um, without a phobia or, you know, being able to go on stage or whatever it is without depression, without anxiety. Um, but the healing itself, or, you know, we can talk about addictions, we can talk about, you know, smoking and drinking and um, all the phobias, public speaking, just feeling better about yourself. There's not one thing that this doesn't help with. Not one thing. You're so spot on. <laughs> it's really what the client wants to do with it. Exactly. And like you said before, in the course that you're offering, you know, it's about helping the client create their new life, create their new perception of what they want. And that's it's like a superpower to be able to yeah. exercise that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you probably do the same thing that I do. And one of the things that that I have found to be really profound is to talk about, you know, how you're standing and see yourself standing with your shoulders back and your chest up and just breathing deep and your chin is up in a comfortable way. And, you know, just even as you say that to someone, you mm. see their entire body flow change and you're helping them to create and magnify, um, manifest this new reality for themselves. And they talk about that. My clients will often talk about that the next day in terms of, I can't believe I'm walking different. I'm interacting mm. with people differently. And it's confidence, but it's more than that. It's a way of really holding your space in the world that is much more different. And then to recognize that difference and go, wow, this is cool. Yeah, I love that you bring that up because it really confirms the science behind it where they were able to measure the changes in brainwave activity through the functional MRIs that shows like an actual difference in how the brain is processing information and even the formation of its cells just because of the exposure to this new language, this new perspective. Like that is a literal shift that yeah. the client will feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we're just kind of scratching the surface of the subconscious. I mean, everything that those hypnotists that have come before us or hypnotherapists that have been before us know as fact, the people that have done Life Between Lives sessions, you know, 5,000 Life Between Lives sessions, what they know as fact is now being able to be recorded in a way that is fundamentally different and feels, as you said, more factual than, than before which gives it more credibility, whether we like it or not, it simply does. Yeah. So Jackie, I know that you said that your course is currently an outline and all courses, as I've learned through creating them myself, starts with an outline. <laughs> I love outlines. They're, it's like everything is just so organized and it helps you stay on course, literally. Right. Yeah. To create the course. And with your coaching, you're able to give people this new superpower. Um, how can people reach you if they're interested? Oh, thank you for that. Engaging this. Um, well, I have a phone number that is um, the one phone number that I use for all of my businesses. And, and the beautiful thing about retiring, again, if I can just put a plug in for retiring and then re reinventing yourself, is that you can dream big, like as, as you've got on your on your beautiful screen. Yes. Um, there's there's really nothing to hold you back. And so, um, like a lot of people, I'll have an idea and then go, well, I'm going to turn that into a business now. So I have um, women educators or warriors, which actually is a business. There is um, a one page landing on Facebook, and I have my um, Facebook and my website which is for openmindshypnosis.ca. And I also have another Facebook page, which is dedicated to principled leadership. And that's the one where we're really exploring 
both what happens in the world of women and what happens in leadership. And that's really about being able to be a leader that is desirous of being ethically sound and feeling kindness and compassion and not apologizing for those things. So if you're interested in you know, looking at policy and then saying that policy no longer serves us, we've got to change it. It doesn't make sense anymore because our audience has changed or, you know, mm -hmm. like I, the, I've got a child in front of me that is not fitting. I need to figure out exactly how we work around the child, not the child has to fit the system. And so that's the kind of leadership that I'm really intrigued by about, you know, being the most mature person in the room at all times. And what does that mean? Knowing uh, the importance of, not posturing and keeping people waiting because you can like that kind of shit doesn't fly with me. I yeah. just think that, that's ridiculous bullshit. Yeah. Um, and so if that's the kind of leader you want to be, then don't look me up. But if you, if you understand the value of vulnerability and authenticity and compassion and kindness, then please, you know, reach out to me. And I've got a couple of um, emails that people can find me at. One is uh, JD young leadership at gmail.com one is jackie at openhypnosis.ca or the easiest one is jackie young's email at gmail.com <laughs> really and they I all they that. all talk to each other but that's probably the easiest one you can get me there and i'll just feed it into the right place so jackie young's email at gmail.com i'm um, just to clarify you mentioned um jackie at open open minds hypnosis open minds hypnosis okay dot ca dot ca yeah okay wonderful well we've concluded a very wonderful rich conversation about many things highlighting leadership hypnosis mindfulness just being the best human we can be mm -hmm. and i hope a lot of people got something useful out of it some points of inquiry that perks up their ears mm -hmm. and um this feels complete I mean I know we could talk forever at the bar I know but this, is, know. this feels like a very nice uh wrap-up it really does I'm very grateful for this opportunity and this time to speak as am I <laughs> yeah it's it's really, really been again Ripley just a whole lot of fun and I have to say your questions and the way that you've kind of um, kept me on track and yet still exploring different themes and different avenues has been really um, wonderful to watch you. So thank you for wow. that. Really, really good at this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so much gratitude. <laughs> gratitude all around. Yeah. Blessings. Yeah. Well, let's um, hope that those blessings include the technology. It's <laughs> saved. Sounds good. <laughs> I was saving to the cloud. So, so the technology gods, please save That's us. right. <laughs> oh, great. You take good care and have a rest of a wonderful day. You too. Bye, Jackie. Thanks. Thanks, Jeffrey. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.